I'll tell you what, Lilo and Stitch Two, Stitch has a glitch, <laughs> has several moments, <laughs> has several moments in it where Lilo is being really selfish. Uh, <laughs> and several times I tried to get this off the ground. I tried to go for like a Lilo and Stitch, more like Leo and bitch. Am I right? <laughs> 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 no one went for it like twice. Didn't land. <laughs> Didn't land. <laughs> there was, there was, <laughs> I was so close so many times. I just never, <laughs> never, never, never landed it. And they were like, Are you talking about the seven year old Lilo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still think that Lilo and Bitch has legs. And I won't hear anything against it. But yeah, that implies that Stitch is the bitch, doesn't it? Oh, fuck. Lilo is not the blue alien. <laughs> maybe m- maybe that's what no one went for. Maybe I fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I went for Lilo and Stitch, Lilo's a bitch, or Lilo and Stitch, Stitch has a bitch. No, you, like you were, you were calling right. that little blue alien a bitch. Lilo and bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Hello. Brother, I almost said I'm Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you did. That, that there pause was a little bit of a pause, was, yeah. Oh, yeah. That pause was me a be about to be like, I'm Andrew. And then. <laughs> 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 Fuck. We're going to get back into a regular rhythm, bro. Yeah, really. If it, anything, it's going to stop embarrassing shit like that happening. It is really starting to slide, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I can't even get my own fucking name right. (laughs) That I feel like you mind game yourself because I think that happens like not infrequently to you where you like, you're like, you've like punched the autopilot engage button for the introduction to just be going. Your lips are wagging, your tongue's tongue's (laughs) flapping. Yeah. Then and you're Let's thinking wagon. about. I'm playing Wordle, brother. You're thinking about what I'm gonna do, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and so your mind is on. You're thinking about how how that I'm Andrew is gonna come up, and that's what trips yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. That might literally be what it is. But also, uh, <laughs> going back going back to the thing I just said, it's been so long since we recorded that Wordle wasn't a fucking thing last time we recorded. That's true. That's true. Or like it wasn't the big fucking viral sensation. I got so, to three out of six today. I'm yeah, right. Five out of six. Five, five out of six. <laughs> five out of six for me. I'm dealing with that Neanderthal brain. Yep. Yep. You got that yep. slow brain, unfortunately. <laughs> let's, let's drop some spoilers for Wordle to, for Wordle today. The the Wordle <laughs> yeah. data. The, the Wordle the Wordle today. If I I'll have to go to open it back up again. That's the nice thing about Wordle is it respects cookies and shit. So so it's it's actually not a problem. I can open it up and it'll show me the guesses. So here's what I guess first. Tears. Then I guessed okay. uh, rain, but R A I N E didn't even fucking know that was a word. And that's so, because you're yeah. an Eric Clapton fan. <laughs> and then here's where it fucks you, right? So you have like three letters in a row. Yep. That you get that are, that are right, and you so go, you all right, well, I'll fill in the last two, and I go brace, and it goes no, and I go grade, and they go no frame, which is fucking bullshit because it <laughs> means that like the the third the third word I guess could have been the fucking word. Yeah, you know? when it when you get the third word, I guess was all greens and blacks. So it's like it's like it's just that I just didn't okay. guess the right word. So which here's is obviously what Wordle is. Here's something that's improved that for me is 
they're usually very simple, common words. And so, if you're thinking about like yeah, brace, well, I would say brace is not that common as a word, right? <laughs> and they're often <laughs> like no, they're grade often like is a pretty nouns. common word. Grade was a good guess, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, if, so if anything, you've whittled me down to a four out of six. I think my second one was grace. That's still good. Four out of six is still good. Yeah, right. I but I got a three out of six. There. Impressive. Right. So. <laughs> All right, suck my ass. So that's that, that's Wordle chat out of the way. Look forward to that happening every single week. I'm from here extremely on out. competitive uh, about Wordle. <laughs> I feel like week? I probably have the best average in the group chat, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so just post your distributions week? in the. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the Facebook group, and we can all compare wordles. <laughs> Fuck yeah, we 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 can destroy the last bastion of social media where people aren't posting wordle shit. Great, and it's only because no one's posting anything. So maybe this will be what revives it. It's just it's about time to chat. disturb that silence. I'd say, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this week, uh, surprise, motherfucker! We tricked you into watching fucking uh, the French, French Dispatch. Dispatch. I think at the end of last week's episode, uh, we said we're going to watch the French Dispatch like thirty times. Yeah, we yep. said like definitely going to be the French. And let's be honest, it just didn't feel like it. That's what happened. We just, I, didn't, uh, just didn't feel like it. I tried to watch it through a, a streaming service that is <laughs> yep uh, not advertised much in Australia. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> and um, uh, and it fucked up so many times that I just gave up on watching it. I just gave up on watching it. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, we, we, but I but I will endeavour. Um, however, I will say this: we, we keen-eyed listeners, keen-eyed yeah. listeners, will have checked the description Idiot. for last week's episode, in which I said either French Dispatch or worst person in the world. Which is what we. I would up doing. love to know if there's anyone out there that watched both French <laughs> Dispatch and Worst Person in the World, just to be like, "Oh, I got to stay current with these beef boys." Hey, if, that, if you didn't, that's on you. That's all I'm saying. That's not my fucking if problem. You, if you watched both of those movies based on the dis- description from last week, let us know. Love to know if anyone reads the description. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would so, say probably not. So this, so, so this week we are doing. We're going to give you a spoiler-free review of a Norwegian romantic comedy drama. Came out in 2021. It's called The Worst Person in the World. Now that sounds like a deep cut, but this film has been getting a lot of praise from a lot of film. It's been doing the festival circuit. It was very yeah, popular at Cannes, very popular at Sundance, and I think it's going to be Oscar nominated as well. So I think a lot it of was Oscar. Uh, Oscar noms oh yeah, it yet. was selected as a yeah okay right now there's also the shortlist yes yeah, so it's currently shortlisted uh, the lead actress uh, got a best actress award in Cannes and it's been selected for all sorts of film festivals yeah so so you're right it's been doing the rounds it's like the fucking most low most lo-fi normie fucking foreign film that we could have picked yeah from but, Norway to be honest. I, I I just watched it and really fucking loved it and said, brother, we got to do this. Yeah, Stop I'd already to... seen it. And Oscar uh, messaged the group chat being like, highly recommend that people check this out. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you to watch that. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought I was breaking new ground. Guess yeah. not. Uh, yeah. So, stay tuned for that uh, later, later in this episode, in this same episode. Mm. Don't touch that dial. Uh, All right. In the meantime, though, we got a bit of we got a, <laughs> we got a bit of news. We got a bit of special features. We'll play the next wordle with you for another twenty minutes, and then and then we can talk about the movie. Yep. Uh, ready to go, boy? Yep. All right. 
Beef bullet. That's right. All right. So uh, here we go. Uh, first cab off the rank uh, is uh, movie adjacent news, but I thought it was it was worth worth going through anyway. So let me let me just send you this link because it's probably worth you <laughs> worth you actually. You're going to read along, one. and listeners, you can do this too with the link in the episode description. <laughs> Not going to happen. All right. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So uh, Oscar, make a yes, make, so, a, so make a bookmark in the Audacity edit right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember to put the fucking link uh, in the description. Headline: Robert Pattinson is the most beautiful man in the world. Scientists say. So this is a, uh, a shit. <laughs> this is just some dude that's like uh, put a whole bunch of celebrities' faces through some sort of golden ratio algorithm thing. Uh, and spat out results and determined scientifically who the fucking sexiest actor is according to the golden ratio. And the reason I sent it to you is because he's got like percentage scores associated with each actor's like cheeks and lips and like <laughs> nose length and shit like that. So it's good stuff. Uh, so first one. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask that you don't scroll ahead. Uh, first one, Ryan Gosling. Uh, received a total score of an attractive. Let's let's call it what it is. It's a it's a hotness index. It's oh, an yeah. attractiveness score. Yeah, we're we're quantifying hotness. <laughs> Ryan Gosling, eighty seven point four eight percent. Yeah, uh, he had the most perfectly shaped nose of all the men scored, but he scored lowly for his lips, with a yeah, mere sixty six percent on the golden ratio. That's right, and his eye position was also dragging at eighty two percent. Oh yeah, but a ninety-nine point two percent nose width slash length. So he can't beat those numbers. Yeah, this next one surprised me, uh, if only because I just don't consider this dude like a conventionally hot guy. Next mm. one, uh, Kanye West made it onto the hotness scale. Yeah, he's uh, killing the ninth it. hottest person rated. Uh, Kanye scored highly for his eye spacing and his chin was marked down for his face shape. I yeah. reckon. If this is a fucking golden ratio fucking calculation and you're getting marked down for your face shape, you should give me fucking marked down. Like, <laughs> is it face shape the whole fucking point? Yeah, but Gosling's, Gosling's lips, that's a 66, brother. Kanye's numbers, we're not hitting anywhere near those lows. He has, this man has a yeah, minimum right. 80. Yeah, but even then, Kanye Kanye West's total attractiveness rating is only like 0.3% higher than Ryan Gosling. So, there must be some weighting going on here. I don't know. Clearly, lips aren't that highly weighted in the overall score. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume that a lot of these scales also like have some funny shit going on with like people of different ethnic <laughs> backgrounds and stuff. So, you never know. Yeah, yeah. Well... Idris Elba is the next person on this list. Uh, quote, Idris has a near-perfect chin Damn. and was just beaten by Bex in second place in that category. You'll find out who Bex is later. I, uh, um, I got to say... Idris also so scored highly for his eye spacing, which was set the second overall best eye spacing that was rated, apparently. Wow. Okay, so Kanye and Idris both doing very well for both their chins and eye mm. spacing. And both of them... Bearing facial hair, obscuring those lovely little chins. So I'm yeah, unable so to tell. I'd like to know. I want to know whether the AI is like tracing tracing the facial hair. Mm. I, I want to know whether the AI thinks the facial yeah. hair shape is the chin shape, or whether this is like a person that's going through and like manually tracing where his chin like would be. Yeah, or yeah. if you think about it, if the facial hair, like if you've got a little goatee there that covers your chin, 
surely that's just like you reshaping your own chin. Like people don't see the chin that's under your facial hair. They see the yeah, facial exactly. hair. So if you've like got chin. facial hair that's growing out to like shape the chin, surely that's what counts. So that's the shape of your chin for the purposes of this. No, you think of that, did you? But all right. Uh, last person that we're going to talk about before we just descend into criticizing men's chins for the rest of the hour. Sure. Uh, Bex. And might I just David. say, from my perspective, people in glass houses. Yeah. <laughs> David Beckham himself. Yeah, this is a uh, weird one. Has the most chiseled chin of all the men in the top 10. Wow. He also had a near perfect ratio between the size of his nose and his lips, but he was marked down for the shape of his nose and his eye position. And then if you look at the photo they've picked here uh, in the. He's looking a little busted. He is a bit, isn't he? His eyes really. Yeah. I I went down and thought, like, oh, I position, come on. I mean, you're like, no, his eyes are pretty close together there. It's, it's, that's a 73% eye eye spacing if ever I've seen one. (laughs) Brother, I've (laughs) seen a few. <laughs> but uh, ran- rounding out the list is apparently our boy R. Pats himself. Now, let me tell you the reason why I didn't want to scroll through, but I realized I haven't covered Robert Pattinson, is because holy fuck, there are a lot of ads on this website. Like, right. it's like, it's, oh my God. All right. So, Robert Pattinson with a total score of 92.15%. Okay. The most beautiful man in the world, That's according intense. to science. Sure. Now, uh, um, the listeners will be gagging to find out, I'm sure, because we've skipped over a few. So, I'm just going to machine gun these. Yeah. we got Hugh Jackman. It's all, it's all your classics. George Clooney. Yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper. I'll be honest. Two Brads. I reckon this guy just got big celebrities and scored them and then told us the ranking of the <laughs> one that he scored. Because there's no way that, like, fucking Brad, like, the most conventionally attractive dudes in Hollywood are the ones that made the top of this list. I don't know. Henry Cavill looks like he was shaped in a vat, like... <laughs> kind of like built from the ground up using like well-informed <laughs> DNA. So I guess, yeah, it's like, he just looks yeah. like, I mean, literally like a superhuman. So I don't know. Yeah. But that's mm. funny because Robert Pattinson, I feel was cut. Maybe I'm getting this wrong, but oh no, Ryan like Gosling has been cast this kind of guy. films. Ryan really? Gosling has been Robert cast Pattinson? in films, especially The Notebook, because he, yeah. um, like he was cast against conventional uh, attractiveness of at the time. Interesting. So, like, yeah, yeah they fucked that one up, didn't they? <laughs> well, okay, uh, our Pats, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson's lowest scoring feature are his lips at a lowly eighty-two percent. Yeah, he got those. He got those thin little lips. Mm-hmm. I will say so this. That's, uh, that's what we got. I, I um I agree with this. I don't love his lips. I gotta say. You reckon? Brutal. Yeah, he's. I think he's just suffering from a case of being British, man. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 Henry Cavill is the second most attractive person on the list uh, as well. I know we got a lot oh, of Henry Cavill fans out there. Wouldn't want to wouldn't want to put shame on my boy Henry. Cavill. And I'll tell you what, Henry Cavill's lips ninety seven percent, unbelievable, near perfect. Jesus Christ, I've never seen numbers that high. Henry yep. Cavill's look how fucking this is bullshit. Actually, look how high Henry Cavill's numbers are. Henry yep. Cavill's numbers across the board are fucking higher than Robert Pattinson's. Forehead, yeah, 98%. Eye position, 95.3%. Uh, nose base slash lip width, 96.9%. How the fuck has Robert Pattinson got my boy Henry Cavill beat? It's bullshit. Uh, apparently, he was let down. This is so funny, the way that he's written this. This is all from one guy's yeah. Instagram <laughs> shit. 
Uh, Henry Cavill, yeah. 91.64%. <laughs> That's compared to Robert Pattinson's 92.15. So there's only 0.3 of a percent in it, basically. But he said he had the highest overall score for his lips and forehead and also scored very highly for the matching ratio of nose and lips and his eye position. So we're all golden, yeah, right. except, He's a good however, <laughs> it appeared the Witcher oh. star was let down by the position oh, of no. his eyes. He scored Andrew poorly for his eye spacing. <laughs> I reckon his eye spacing is great. His eye spacing is fucking 95%. Well, so his eye position is 95.3. So I think there's more factors than is listed on each one because his eye spacing might be different to his eye position. Like, I would assume that he's talking about the vertical position of the eyes on the skull. Whereas, (laughs) phrenology is actually kind of (laughs) cool. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so there you go that, that, that's the first heading I'm glad got, first headline I'm glad they got legs yep uh, what do we got uh, Jason Manzukis voices Tommy Lee's penis in Hulu's new Pam and Tommy uh, miniseries okay so I don't Pamela really Anderson have anything to add to that I think <laughs> pa- Pamela Anderson and the drummer from Motley Crue Tommy Lee infamously had a sex tape uh, leak or stolen by like a handyman that they refused to pay mm. or whatever. Uh, and so this handy, this, this like handyman tradesperson like <laughs> stole a sex tape, I think, and sold it to the porn industry. Uh, yeah. If you didn't know, it was apparently like the most viral, you know, it was like the, the sex tape of the day. It was yep. the Kimmy and Ray J of it. Of, it was the of, previous of, generation's of the Paris Hilton tape. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I, I suppose the headline says it all. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Lee's penis has a voice in the show. The voice belongs to Jason Manzoukas. There you go. Uh, yeah, so there's a quote from the director here. The director, he says, the director says, Pammy will also have a penis. <laughs> Apparently the fact that the penis... Uh, this scene where like Tommy Lee talks, talks to his dick... It's apparently just lifted straight from Tommy Lee's memoirs. Jesus. <laughs> the director says, as much as I'd like to take credit for that, I was simply adapting a chapter from his memoir. I think it might be a first for television. There was gentle pushback because you've got to push back a little when a talking penis is presented to you. But Hula was extremely supportive. <laughs> like, is this, is, is this going to fly? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> well, good stuff. Um, Yep. Okay, so how's this? Here's another one of those headlines where I haven't quite vetted the article, but I'm just hoping that it's got legs and you don't ask me too many questions. So let's, let's see how we go. All right. Uh, eight years after it was shot, dopey fantasy The King's Daughter flops into theatres, starring Pri- Pierce Brosnan as Louis XIV, intent <laughs> on consuming the essence of a CGI mermaid. Sean McNamara's calamitous new historical fancy- fantasy romance... Uh, it was filmed eight years ago. Uh, it started with a f- 14 years of stop-start development uh, prior to all these people getting on and off the project. Uh, finally got off the ground in 2014 uh, only for it to be shot and then just be yanked from release in 2015. And it's been sitting on a shelf until now. And it's apparently, wow. surprise, surprise, a massive flop. A, a big it's stinker. It's called The King... <laughs> it's called The King's Daughter. Okay. Uh, and it had Pierce Brosnan, William Hurt, someone named Fan Bing Bing, Kaya Scodelario. Kaya Scodelario, <laughs> yeah, she's great. She was in skins. <laughs> and Benjamin Walker. So there you go. Cool. I just thought it was interesting that you got you got, you got a movie uh, with a major Hollywood star that's uh, 
uh, is Pierce, I mean, I know like Pierce Brosnan was a major Hollywood star, and no disrespect to my boy, even though apparently, <laughs> well, I was going to say even though apparently he's a horrible person, but the story I'm pulling that from is that apparently he shoved James Corden out of the way and wouldn't acknowledge his presence <laughs> at a U2 concert, yeah, was, and, and I think actually James that's Corden. good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm back in. I'm back in with with uh, with the great yeah. man. Um, Sounds like he's a fucking solid guy. All right. Yeah. Who the fuck is Louis the Fourteenth? Do not tell me a king of France. I mean, like, what, <laughs> what, what you did he do that was worth making a film it, about? You wouldn't get it unless you, unless you're familiar with Louis one through thirteen, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Am I going to understand Louis the Fourteenth if I happen to see Louis <laughs> one through thirteen? <laughs> uh, you're right. What I said was funny. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, Daniel Radcliffe is going to play Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, I saw in a this. biopic movie for Roku. Yep. Produced by Funny or Die. <laughs> That's it. It's weird. I love that produced Daniel Radcliffe can just do whatever die. the fuck it's he wants. Funny. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> I mean Radcliffe. I, so I saw some 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 uh, discourse about this. Like Radcliffe's done Goofy, so um, you know I don't know. I think he might be alright. The Goofy movie? No, like he's literally acted Goofy. Well, sorry, he's not literally acted Goofy. He's acted descriptively goofily, <laughs> um, such yeah, as right. when he played a fighting corpse or a man with guns for hands. So going to say. If listeners out there haven't seen uh, Swiss Army Man, where Daniel Radcliffe plays a dead body that farts for the whole movie, fix Great that. Movie. Great fucking with, movie. With Paul Dano. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know about this cool. casting. I guess if I, I'll have to see him with the frizz fro and the, yeah, and the, 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 and the wig and the, the makeup and everything. He needs a mustache <laughs> yeah, yeah. until I can tell if this is good casting or not. I'd love to think that there's a that there's a uh, Photoshop out there already that's doing that for us. I've I've Googled Radcliffe Al Yankovic and uh, nothing's coming up. They're just being put side by side yeah. as they stand currently. So, <laughs> um, so the Razzies have announced their like nominations this year, and the big pull quote or the the, the, the big headline out of the Razzies this time round is that uh, Bruce Willis was in eight movies in 2021. Yeah, he got that bad. And so <laughs> and so one of the Razzie categories in addition to like worst supporting actor, worst actress, worst picture, all that is worst performance by Bruce Willis in a 2021 movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think the Razzies, I don't know, I got very mixed opinions on them cuz I think um I think they're kind of mean. And I don't know if yeah, they're very productive. They definitely are mean. Um, I mean, it yeah. shouldn't have taken 40 years to figure that out. Right. But I mean, uh, that is fucking funny. <laughs> Good stuff. So, uh, yeah. his, his performances in American Siege, Apex, Cosmic Sin, Deadlock, Fortress, Midnight in the Switchgrass, Out of Death, and Survive the Game are all up for Survive the for Game. Contention. Man, have you heard of any of those fucking movies? No, these Bruce Willis was in eight movies in 2021, and I haven't heard of a single fucking one of them. Maybe we should do a mini series where we watch every single one of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be good? Fuck. I I have no idea. I think that we would get three movies in and be like, oh my God, how many more of these fucking movies? That would movies be the low point, and then I think it would pick up from there. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> God, I would love to. You think we'll pick up from there? You think with five movies to go, there's a high point coming? Absolutely. No, I think we would be Midnight generating the switchgrass. I'm not saying that the <laughs> movies will get better. I'm saying we will, our spirits will improve and we will see the light at the end of the tunnel and be able to make better content for it. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Uh, so that, that's what we got there. Uh, last one. Sure. Steven Soderbergh has said he's unlikely to ever direct a major franchise blockbuster like a like a superhero movie because quote there's no fucking <laughs> yeah this rules yep when true. asked by the daily beast uh about uh, see, this is the guy that did oceans 11 famously full of fucking uh when when asked whether he, uh whether he's ever been approached to direct any of the superhero films or anything uh, he said i just, i just don't even know where to start it's not that i feel it's lower tier in any way uh, I, I I just have a lack of imagination in that regard. For a lot of these, for a lot of these, for me to understand the world and how to write or supervise the writing of the story and the characters, apart from the fact that I can bend time and defy gravity and shoot beams out of my fingers, there's no fucking. Nobody's fucking. Like I don't know how to tell. Pe- I don't. I don't know how to tell people how to behave in a world. In which that's not a thing. This is so funny. I have another article about a director <laughs> who says that it's weird that superheroes don't fuck. <laughs> this is Pedro Almodovar, who I've seen a few movies of, but um, uh, he's a very famous... Um, I think he's Mexican. Oh, shit. I better check. Yeah. Uh, Spanish. Sorry. My mistake. So, he's a very, he's a very well-known Spanish film director. And um, right. he says, uh, there are many... Oh, okay. So, um, uh, Marvel has given us... So, this is from Vulture. Marvel's given us a healthy legacy of gratuitous shirtless scenes, allowing audiences to ogle <laughs> the hunky physiques of Michael B. Jordan, Tom Holland, Chris's Evans and Hemsworth. But what does a director yeah. like Pedro Almodovar, famous for his poppy, sexy dramedies, make of big American movies and their directors when <laughs> neither are as adept at showing desire and sexuality, let alone navigating it in an interesting way? And quote, here perhaps there's a kind of self-censorship that doesn't allow the writers to write other kinds of stories, he told Vulture at the film uh, at Lincoln Center's 50th anniversary gala on Monday night. Here's the, here's the full quote. <laughs> there are many, many movies about superheroes and sexuality doesn't exist for superheroes. They are neutered. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? There is like, a unified gender. <laughs> the adventure is what's important. You can find among independent movies more of this sexuality. The human being has <laughs> such sexuality. <laughs> Yeah, I will say you can take the man out of Spain, but boy, (laughs) Uh, Steven Spielberg is clearly not being a fucking snob. Uh, He's he's clearly being serious when he's saying he's not. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I will say Steven Soderbergh is clearly being serious when he's saying he's not being a snob because if you didn't know, Steven Soderbergh uh, (laughs) directed the Oscars, (laughs) did the cinematography for, and did the editing for Magic Mike. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and that movie, the movie is where Channing Tatum is a male stripper. Famously. Well, oh yeah. Is it about fucking or is it about shirtless shirtlessness? It's definitely I mean? it's definitely closer. It, it's definitely fucking adjacent. Right, okay. Well, that's yeah, so is shirtlessness, I if guess. If you said which movie is closer to is closer to fucking, Magic Mike or The Avengers. I'll give you that. You wouldn't be blinking. No, I'll give you that. You'd be telling me Magic Mike. You wouldn't be <laughs> blinking. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe I'd be blinking while I'm telling you Magic Mike. 
Well, this is this is an audio medium, but I'm blinking. <laughs> you blink too. Now, now, now it's a VR podcast, bitch. <laughs> it's an augmented reality game now. <laughs> All right, uh, should we get into a bit of beefness or pleasure? Let's do it. Business of pleasure is, of course, the segment where every week we dedicate a significant portion. <laughs> I assume I was I assume I was going to cut that fat burp out, but I can't now because it's ruined the intro. <laughs> you laughed, idiot. <laughs> so now it has to stay in. Uh, Beefless of pleasure is, of course, the segment where every week we dedicate a significant portion of the show to uh, the official movie of the program. But in addition right. to that, we watch shit for fun. We watch stuff that you know we we want to see. That you know, it's just for our own personal enjoyment. That's right. Uh, I can so that's consume. What we're doing. I can. I can have a movie under thirty centimeters for personal use <laughs> every week. <laughs> so, so that's so that's what we're doing. It's a camera uh, <laughs> We're talking. <laughs> we're talking about uh, other shit we watched. Essentially, that's right. Basically. If you really think the about it, that's what the supporting acts, about. not the headliner. Should I go first? <laughs> I'm going to go yep, first. Not sure. asking. Oh Sorry. my god! <laughs> I can't help it. I'm drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> I'm going to go first. Okay. Um, so uh, the first film that I want to talk about is actually not a film, idiot. It's a TV <laughs> series called Yellow. <laughs> you called got me. Yellow Jackets. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Yellow Jackets. I had uh, which thousand is a thousand dollars riding on the fact that you were going to start with a film. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry to be financially crippling you. I'll never forget the day I heard their plane had gone missing. What do you think really happened out there? All I know is that what happened was a tragedy. Those girls were special. They were champions. I used to think all the sex, the drinking, the drugs. I used to think I did those things because of what happened out there. What I saw. But I did. Hello, Misty. You crazy bitch. It's been a while. I take it you know why I'm here. Okay. I'm out of here. We agreed. Say no more than we have to. The truth is, the plane crashed. A bunch of my friends died. And then the rest of us starved and scavenged and prayed until they finally found us. I think we both know there's more to it than that. Uh, yeah, I watched Yellow Jackets. A uh, friend and previous guest of the show, uh, Mary, recommended that I go in on this, so I have. Okay. It's finished. It's a. And you just do what other people tell you, huh? Oh, yeah. 
Uh, it's a except me uh, when I tell American... you to watch the Irishman. <laughs> I don't have a memory of that Uh, It's an American psychological Drama Thriller kind of show uh, Set in The 90s Okay Because we're getting that 90s nostalgia coming in Uh, And it's about like a Like a A soccer team Of like Under 18s teenage girls or whatever uh, That are in a plane crash and crash like way up in the woods in Canada or Montana. You don't, it doesn't really tell you where, or if if it does, then I wasn't listening like way out in the (laughs) middle of fucking nowhere in a big, (laughs) in a big snowy forest. Could have been Eastern Europe. I missed that. Look, I'm like 60% sure it's Canada somewhere. (laughs) I like those odds. (laughs) Uh, big draw card for this for me was that uh, Camera's own Liv Hewson uh, has a part in this, okay. which is you know ex- exciting. Uh, it's like a, I think it's a Hulu show or something, but in in Australia you have to go through like some backwards ass streaming service to watch it. It's like it's on Amazon Prime, but then within Amazon Prime you have to subscribe to Paramount Plus as like an additional channel inside Amazon Prime, and then you can watch this. Jesus. So we're, it's cable TV all over again. Uh, it's a good show, I would say, overall. Uh, I feel like there's just something about the aesthetic that didn't really do it. Like the 90s nostalgia didn't really like, didn't really do it for me in a way where like, I imagine that if you really love like the 90s type vibe, this would just be like next level awesome for you. Like in the same way as like Stranger Things has that cool 80s vibe going on. This has that, like, that 90s like grungy kind of kind of vibe happening where if that's if that's your thing then this show nails that aesthetic to a hmm. point uh so the show is like half told in the 90s where it's these girls that are trying to survive and it tells you right at the outset that they they they, they are stuck in the woods for like 18 months right uh and they have like no adults and they're like trying to find supplies and it turns into this like a weird like because they're, they're there for so long it turns into like a, like a bit of a weird like Lord of the Fliesy culty kind of vibe there are some, hmm. like, some weird like flashboards and then the other half of the show is set in the in the modern day uh, with like the surviving members of the team that are now like in their 30s or 40s or whatever and like one of them is running for Congress and one of them's like a druggie and the other one's like one of them's like a like a like a like a uh, like a mum, uh, and they are being like haunted by the ghosts of their past. Like it was this big news story back when they were kids, and so some people were like, "Oh, you you were like in that Yellow Jackets team." Like, "Oh, what was it like?" And like some some of them are like being blackmailed by people being like, "Oh, I know what you did in the woods like back then, and I'm gonna fucking tell everyone like ruin you." So it's it's kind of like a half half mystery, half thriller kind of kind of culty kind of kind of drama show. I think it was okay. all right. Probably sure. def- definitely worth watching. Uh, I was kind of going in thinking like, oh, maybe this will be a tight show. I think it's actually going to end up being like five fucking seasons. So, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> don't don't expect uh, d- don't expect anything uh, any tight kind of miniseries. I reckon my favorite kind of kind of kind of vibe is like a miniseries, like a ten episodes and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, miniseries are a really nice emergent kind of. Um Emergent kind of medium because you get the character development of a yeah. TV series, but it's only as much time investment as a film, really, or a couple of films, I yeah. guess. Yeah. My mother said she could only protect me if I stayed away from everyone and everything. I saw what happened. 
Your mum at the reservoir? No one can know I'm here. If they find out, they'll take me away. I won't tell anyone. So no one knows you exist. You do. I like spending time with you here. You've really never been past the rinse. Well, lucky you got me. Come on! I'll help you through it. Three, two, one. Why don't you ever leave? Mum said there's nothing but pain there. It's safe. Oh. Promise. Her little darling knows my nature. <laughs> my heart should be broken. <laughs> I feel more alive than I've ever felt. I think I really like you. I never learned to trust a little So where you been? Friends place. What the hell have you been up to, young lady? The cops here. Well, it's a murder investigation now. Get back in the house right now! They're gonna be okay. I promise you. Claudia! I'll be right here. By your side. Um, I watched My First Summer, which is an Australian. Uh, romance like teen romance film set like in a country town in Victoria or something uh, in really into the teen shit at the came moment out, <laughs> came, oh yeah came out in 2020 uh, yeah, yeah it's tripped up before when it was like they're all under 18 <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh no <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, I watched my first summer it's an Australian movie that came out in 2020 uh, this is another one that I I don't know I watched it because like, oh, I was Australian I saw it I saw it on like someone's end of year list and thought I'd give it a go sad to say I didn't I, I didn't really love it like didn't love it, it seems like it's been getting a lot of vibe and it's like a it's like a queer uh, romance which is like I, I suppose it's great to see that on screen okay. but uh, it's the story of two 16 year old girls and one of them is like uh, quite an outgoing uh, precocious uh, girl that I don't know comes from like a like, I don't know the, 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 the distinction is between this this girl that's quite outgoing and quite uh, extroverted uh, and this girl Boisterous, that she meets perhaps. that yeah, and <laughs> and this girl that she meets that has like never left her house because her mum just does not let her leave the house, uh, and her mum wow. dies. Yeah, and Sweet. the, the mum uh, dies in tragic circumstances, and time to fucking the girl leave. is like is the girl is like not on the books and is just not like the state doesn't know about her. Yeah, and yeah the girl is trying to like grid. stay off the grid so that. She doesn't get taken away to like social services or whatever. So she doesn't and play, so have to like pay a, taxes. It was a nice, it was a nice enough premise, but I just, I, I just didn't really find like the actresses that were playing these two sixteen-year-old girls looked like they were in their like mid twenties, <laughs> which just kind of found it hard to believe. And then like literally one of them was like walking around with like a frilly pink tutu and like a colorful like kids what was backpack that one called on, again? and it just it was called My First Summer. Um, and like the performances were good enough, but I just kind of found it hard to hard to believe the performances in like a meaningful way. Little and bit I think of the dear age Evan difference Hansen. between the characters. What? A little bit of dear Evan Hansen, where they cast a. I don't know what that means, 30, but if it, if it proves my point, then I agree. It's that American um, film where they cast like a thirty-two-year-old as a high school student, and he's like visibly right. old. 
<laughs> oh fuck uh, in the new David Bowie biopic man the new David Bowie biopic that's like unauthorized and unlicensed and like doesn't have the family's blessing and doesn't have any of the rights yeah. to his music the dude playing David Bowie is like 37 and he's Jesus. playing David Bowie specific like the movie only takes place from 1970 to 72 and the guy that's the, this 37 year old actor is playing David Bowie as a 22 year old man damn <laughs> <laughs> Dude looks busted. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the the end of like my first the my thing on my first summer was like it was cool and it was a lovely like little like vibe of an Australian movie and it's nice to see an Australian setting on the big screen and it's nice to have a romance like this. But I just didn't really find myself believing these characters at all. There were so many inconsistencies around like this girl that had lived in a little bubble. Uh, that I just it was you, you find yourself asking these questions like oh how does she know about this and how does she not know about right, that right 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 uh, why would she say that uh, these like where these does sorts she of things where you phrase? don't really yeah yeah you don't really believe characters like motivations about various things and then the film makes several like dramatic leaps in terms of uh, act- actions that characters would need like a very strong motivation to do that I just didn't think were very well founded or very well explained, which is a massive bummer because people typically seem to be really liking it. So I think I'm, I think I've just it just missed me somehow, right? Because uh, I, I just didn't really get it, which is a bummer. Uh, and so I was like so thrilled to watch the worst person in the world right after that because I was feeling like watching a bit of a romancey kind of thing. We're well, not uh, fucking that was a bit of a to talk miss. about that yet. Not yet. So that was a miss. But I'm like the the my experience watching worst person in the world was even further enhanced by having watched this movie that was just a bit of a miss and so it was yeah like, oh, watching a really good movie after you've seen can a, be great. a few clunkers is such a good feeling it's like yeah. coming up for air it's fucking awesome yeah and also i've been watching twin peaks and fucking loving it so far nice that's, that's yeah I've been meaning to all right, meaning to go in on that it's sick what do you got brother okay well i went to sundance and by went to sundance what? i mean i downloaded nord vpn <laughs> And tuned into some of the <laughs> online screenings of the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, um, yeah, fuck. Which was very cool. Um, they had like a weird format where um, they premiered a film and then showed it again. So there were two screenings in the premiere session. You could only tune in for like three hours and they're all American time because it's based out of fucking right. Ohio, I think. How many times and, did you um, get caught out by that? Twice. <laughs> twice I got caught out by that. Um uh, one of them I managed to get a second ticket to for one of the films that I'll talk about. I'll limit it to three, even though I watched nine. Um, <laughs> and uh, the second one, well, yeah, the first- I didn't. I didn't. But I found out it's coming to Netflix on the 22nd of February, so I'll just watch it there. The, f- the frustrating thing about this, oh, I'll give you as an example, because I remember the last lot of big film festival things you talked about. One of the films you loved was Black Bear. And yeah. you talked about that. And it took like I a year over, to get released. Yeah, over a year ago. And it just came out on Netflix like two weeks ago. And I watched it like two weeks ago. Yeah. After having been wanting to see it after these film festival things for fucking ages. And by the so, way, I was right. Everyone that's seen it thinks it's fucking awesome. Check out Black yeah, it's a good Bear movie. You were on right. Netflix. So I suppose it's like just awesome the, movie. the movies that Andrew's going to talk about, <laughs> write them down. Put them in your letterboxed yep. uh, watch list yep. and then fucking forget about them. Yeah, <laughs> forget about it. Yeah, well, some of these will get Oscars praise as well. Um, but Yeah, uh, in a year when I get a chance to see it. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but certainly they're going to be a little difficult to find for, for a little while. Okay, so the first one that I want to talk about is... Um, it's called Emily the Criminal. What's up? It's your boy. Look, I'd love to play you some trailer audio for this one, but this shit's so fresh, those slackers over at YouTube HQ haven't even released one yet. 
Don't say we don't take care of you. Um, which is starring, sorry, it's taken me to my review and not the actual information of the page. So it's directed by That's John great. Patton Ford, came out 2022, starring Aubrey Plaza. Um, oh, as the as the kind of main character, the logline is Emily, who is down on her luck and saddled with debt, gets involved in a credit card scam that pulls her into the criminal underworld of Los Angeles, ultimately leading to deadly consequences. Um, I give this a, a four <laughs> out of five on Letterbox. I really like this one. I was very keen. Speaking of Black Bear, actually, I was very keen to watch yeah, another yeah. Aubrey Plaza performance. I think she's very. Yeah, good I was really this. surprised by her. Yeah, I think. Oh yeah, she's better in Black Bear, but it's also a better script. Um, I was very surprised. Uh, sorry, that's what you said. I was very surprised by her. That's weird. My brain just went to say <laughs> what you said. Um, <laughs> Happens to the best of us, brother. It reminded me of uh, Good Time, the Safdie brothers film, in a lot of ways, in that it was like quite high stress about like. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in that same frantic, stressful, yeah, kind of fast paced you know way. There's like crime films where. Um, uh, they're, they're like, it's not about like an organized crime. It's about like a person committing a specific kind of crime and then having to deal with the fallout from that. So long story yeah, short, yeah, without, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is from like maybe the first third. This is like set up. So it's not really a spoiler, but um, yeah, she works at a, at this restaurant and um, she covers a dude's shift. And, and in exchange, he's like, here, I'll do you a favor. I got a job that you can do. Call this mobile number. And tell them I sent you or like tell them that you know me. And she calls right. it and um, they tell her or they, she texts it and they send her an address to go to. And she goes to this address and um, there's like a, it's like this clearly this organized operation where like there's a guy at a front desk that like takes her driver's license and writes down details of it. He's like, Who's, uh, who, who gave you the number? And she tells him and he, they call that guy and they're like, there's a person here saying they know you. Do you know them? So they're like verifying what so she it, said. It, it doesn't sound as like half high fantasy as John Wick, but is it that similar kind of vibe? Where... No, not at all. No. Oh. <laughs> um, no, there's, there's, it's like very realistic and it's in its crime, uh. organized crime stuff. And so basically she sits down and there's this guy there who's played, he's, he's kind of the, uh, another um, major character in the film played by Theo Rossi, I think. And this guy is sitting up the front. He's like, okay, what you're about to do is not, you're not going to be in any danger. You're not going to be hurting anyone, but it is illegal. So if you're <laughs> uncomfortable with that, leave now. There's nothing wrong with leaving. If you're not comfortable with it, that's fine. Just know that that's what you're getting yourself into. Oh, and she, cool. That's a good hook. It's a good hook. Yeah. And, and, and so then like, I'll, I'll I'll actually leave it there um, because I think that's an interesting that's kind of like a really compelling setup. Um, so All I right, really so enjoyed what was it. that one. I think it's great. So that's Emily the criminal. Great. Um, Look forward to seeing that in twenty twenty three. Next one. Yeah, some really nice like undercurrents <laughs> of of class stuff as well. That's very satisfying. That kind of like you know in you know reading like anti work posts where someone like quits their job because their manager texts them being like Hey, I need you to come in, and they're like Um, actually, I think you should get fucked. And that's very yeah. satisfying. It's like that kind of yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the second one I want to talk about. Um, I gave a five out of five. I really Ooh. loved this film. Um, Ooh. new fave film of mine. It's called Duel. Yeah, nah. Sorry. It's directed by Riley Stearns, who did The Art of Self-Defense, which a lot of people know, uh, which right. is a film with Jesse Eisenberg from back in 2019. Um, so, Duel is starring Karen Gillan and Aaron Paul in the best acting I've seen him do since um, 
since Breaking Bad. Damn. And completely Karen hasn't... different. Really? Um, it's awesome. It. He's Car- so fucking good. Karen Gillan hasn't been incredible in a lot of stuff I've seen. Well, in. give her a go in this because this film has a uh, Yorgos Lanthimos approach to the dialogue. The dialogue is like very oh, flat. And it's, but it's so fucking funny. The tone of it is a, it's a comedy through and through, a very right. like sardonic comedy, really fucking. And did you funny. say Jesse Eisenberg's in this? No, he was in the previous guys, the guys' previous uh, okay. films. So Riley Stearns, yeah, directed it. Um, well, Aaron no, Paul is hilarious. So Aaron I'd- Paul's hilarious. He plays a supporting character, but Karen Gillan. So the, the premise is a terminally ill woman opts for a cloning procedure to ease her loss on friends and family. So they create a clone of you that will literally like occupy your life when you pass away. Right. Um, and they're not like a. It's like a fully. They're a person. So you're basically right, like, like a replacing black mirror kind of thing. Right, but that you have to do the cloning procedure before you die. So for a period of time, you and the clone are in the world together. Um, oh, so so it, it's like, so so you have to think you're going to be dead. You're going to die soon. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so the, the the second part of the hook is so Karen Gillan makes a miraculous recovery from this terminal illness, and so oh. um, the clone like there's then this bureaucratic process that she has to deal with where the clone has a right to try and keep the life that she's (laughs) set herself up to occupy. So, um, that's funny. It's very funny. That's a cool idea. It's a really cool idea. I'm keen to watch that. Yeah. This is dual, uh, by Riley Stearns and Karen Gillan, because she plays herself and her clone, she has to act opposite herself quite a bit. And, uh, does it, you Uh. kind of forget that she's doing that. She's very, very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Really good sense of comedic timing. This movie is very fucking funny in a really dry way. Um, yeah, awesome. Haven't seen anything like it. Apparently, it's quite similar to Art of Self-Defense in tone. Um, and I was watching a, an, a Q&A with the guy where someone was basically like, why do you write like this? And he said, well, my dialogue is like quite flowery and kind of like very, um, I don't know what the word is, but like uh, a kind of like, artificial and complex and um you know you know what i mean like elaborate elaborate is the word i'm looking for his dialogue is very elaborate so he said muting the performance in that without taking away the emotion of it kind of like balances it out he says like if it was if if i let them perform like a normal film it would be too much it would sound ridiculous but the fact that it's really paired back in its performance similar to killing of a sacred deer where these characters are delivering these very, like, matter-of-fact lines that can sometimes be deeply funny. Um, yeah. And but the, the fact like, that like they're delivering it so deadpan really creates this great tone. It's really, really good. So, that was the second yeah. one that I would really oh, recommend cool. checking out. And the last one was a, that- a, a film that really kind of, I think it's sort of headlined um, Sundance. So, this is called After Yang. Come on, Yang. What are you doing? Come Come on. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. Has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed, I'm not gonna buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to 
break open the core. We've always known that some bots are equipped with spyware. You might not want this bot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory. What do you mean? Did you only want to be human? That's such a human thing to ask, isn't it? So I believe this is an A24 film. Um, it actually was released in 2021. I think it's screened at Cannes. Um, it's directed by a guy called Koganada. Um, it's a little like Aquafina. Right. That's just a, that's his name, his single name. Um, right. So after Yang, directed by Koganada, um, the I just w- peek behind the curtain. I just read out the letterbox thing, and I, I think it gives away a little too much of the film. So I think right. the less you know so about this one, the don't better. Don't look up the summary. Yeah, so so try to avoid it. It's not going to spoil anything, but I think that the less you know, the better. It's got Colin Farrell in it. He's the most well-known actor, but it's also got um, Jodie Turner-Smith, Malia Emma. Oh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that. Chandra Rajaja. I'm fucking butchered that. <laughs> and um, all bunch of people. And Justin Min. And yeah, the setup is basically that uh, um, this couple adopt a, a Chinese girl. Um, and uh, by way of letting her integrate into American society easier, there's this program where you can actually like hire an android to be the essentially the older brother of right. um, of of your young uh, child. So this uh, Yang is like the this android guy, and he malfunctions one day, and so it's about them trying to repair him. Um, and it's kind of like a really interesting meditation on... It sounds like... I sound like a wanker already, but um, Koganada is exploring grief and right. um, and how sometimes you can um, get to know someone more after they're gone than uh, you ever really knew them when they were there. So it's a beautiful film. It's really, really lovely. Um, I think... Uh, I don't know. It's just this was like an A24 film, you know, like... Um, Really high quality in every single way. All of the performances are fantastic. The way that the film yeah, starts it sounds great. with a dance number uh, is fucking <laughs> brilliant. Um, oh, and the setting is like <laughs> so uh, the setting is like near, near future sci-fi. Uh, I would compare it to like Black Mirror, where there's this technology yeah, right. that's been invented, but it hasn't fundamentally changed the way that we do things. But it's kind of disrupted a lot of the shit that we would consider quite normal. Yeah, um, it it, like there's been a couple like. A couple of little like Black Mirror-y kind of movies there. Well, it occurred to me two of these are like near future sci-fi films about uh, about cloning because there's clones in After yeah. Yang as well <laughs> about cloning or androids, um, kind of artificial yeah, yeah, exactly. humans, right? Um, but this one is also really fantastic. It's getting extremely good reviews. It's a beautiful film. I would compare it to um, uh, First Cow in its tone. Um, oh right, a little so that's bit what of, you mean like a meditation, like a bit of a right. slow, it's a slow burn. Kind of yeah, thing. a little bit of first yeah. cow, a little bit of um, sort of like first cow pig, and uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, maybe, um, or yeah, okay. or, or other films that look a lot at like memory and what someone recalls and and their th- their lived experience yeah, right. and what that might mean to other people. So first yeah, really cow and fantastic. Pig, that's a fucking ripper recipe for meatballs, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, bit of veal, bit of pork, yeah, bit. 
Yeah, so I check I check all those out. <laughs> um, there was one more that I was going to give a quick shout out to. I'm just trying to find it because I can't remember. It has an odd title. Sorry, it's a documentary called Second Chance. It's about the guy that makes uh, that ran the company Second Chance Body Armor in in the states um and that was a really right. interesting really interesting doco the guy's a real character and it sort of explores yeah this guy richard davis he um he owned a pizzeria and got robbed at it and then invented this body armor and made a name for himself by wearing the body armor and shooting himself to prove that it was life-saving essentially and then he How sold he it to heaps of police and and the Troops that invaded Iraq war and stuff. So it's it's like very oh, wow. famous brand. Very interesting doco. So yeah. That was my that's my yeah, Sundance cool. shit. Check my letterbox. I, I logged everything that I watched and rated it so you can you can see more stuff if you want. Damn. Yeah, okay, great. No worries. Well maybe at some point we'll put out a little letterbox links in the description of one of the episodes. Yep. Maybe yep. one good. day. Yep. Uh, I was gonna make a note. Cool. Of <laughs> Is that <laughs> are we, we going to jump into the main the main feature yeah, of the week this it. week? Let's get on to the then? main course. All right, cool. So, uh, I suppose we, we're not sure just yet whether we're going to play the trailer for this movie or not. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's we'll kind of a, nice a point, little, but kind of not, yeah, right? Because it'll be Norwegian. So, like, we'll, we'll, we'll have a little pause, sort of right here. Yep. Let's go party. Okay. Okay. Hold it. Hold it. You're cute, right? I said goodbye to me, I looked in the mirror, then I began to cry. I leave my things behind for all to see and hope that she will understand why. Ending the game is like changing the name of your favorite song. Hvis du er glad i meg, hvis du elsker meg, så da fikser vi alt det andre. Ja, jeg elsker deg. Men jeg elsker deg ikke. All right, now we don't know whether you just listened to the the worst person in the world trailer or not. I assume if it's all just Norwegian and like that Art Garfunkel song, maybe not. But you know, <laughs> if there's enough noises that sound interesting and engaging, then you will have heard the trailer, and I hope I hope it was intriguing. Yeah. Uh, so, worst person in the world is a 2021 romance comedy drama uh, by a Norwegian guy named Joachim Trier, uh, and it's the third in like a. He say he says it's a trilogy, but I suppose it's just like three movies that have a similar kind of vibe, like that they're they're maybe, they're unrelated. Can we say a triptych? How about that? Well, they're not they're not a painting. Okay, but y- sometimes you can use like cross medium kind of representations to try and kind of give someone an impression of of a, a medium based concept that, that isn't maybe oh. necessarily. Yeah, but right. okay, yeah. Let's not make no. this one of those times. F- okay, fuck me. I it's, guess, yeah. 
Uh, Not it, a trip. It's, yeah, it's like, like like a spiritual trilogy kind of thing with a couple of the movies he's made that are all centered around Oslo. This one's set in Oslo. Uh, and it's about this uh, young woman named Julie. And it's about sort of four years Julie. in... <laughs> it's about four years in her life. Uh, and it's set over 12 chapters, which the film tells you right at the start, which I kind of feel like sets you up with a, in a really nice way, uh, sort of set, setting you up knowing that like, oh, this, this movie's going to like jump all over the place. Yep. And as you sort of get into the idea that like it's about this one person, you really sort of start to feel like, oh, this, this person's like this person's life is going to be fucking jumping all over the place and she's going to be seeing a lot of changes. So Yeah, because it sort uh, of sets her I, up I like- at first as like being someone who is very like um, lost and also indecisive in her life direction kind of after she graduates uni and, and she sort of doesn't seem to ever be satisfied or, or or persist with stuff that she's doing. Yeah, like it sets up, it sets up within the first like... Three five minutes of the movie, like she's a top student in med school, uh, which she chose because it had this like high academic prestige. But then she feels this drive to pursue some sort of passion of the heart. I think is how it describes it in the movie. Mm. So she drops that uh, and goes to study psychology, and then and she, she drops that and yeah. becomes a photographer. And it's and like, like she like, knew <laughs> in her heart what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a photographer, and then like a yeah. minute of screen time later, it's like so she gave up photography. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I think my first impression uh, was just that I really, I feel like it's hit me at just the right time where the sorts of anxieties and pressures uh, oh, yeah. and <laughs> thoughts and sort of feelings that Julie's going through in her late 20s, early 30s are very similar to the sort of shit that I feel like I'm going through on some level for me. I don't know about yeah. you. Oh, yeah. This movie I really, got that. really landed. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like something I really liked about this movie because I rewatched I watched it a few weeks ago and then I rewatched it again last night. Uh, I, something I thought about and I wanted to see what you thought about it was just the idea that like this isn't some rom com or some sort of drama where the characters have these high flying ambitions. No, like it's it's literally just like Julie just wants to be with a guy that she loves and have a job that she enjoys. And that's that's kind of her whole fucking ambition. She wants just, to feel she, satisfied and, and, and happy. And she's trying to figure out how... To, and fulfilled, I guess. She's, she's trying yeah. to figure out how to feel fulfilled. And she can't fucking figure it out. Yeah. And I, I really love that. Like, you show... Mm. The, the film... The long... I, I think the film's kind of long. It doesn't feel long, but there's several just chapters... Over two Right, so the, the, so the way that it's broken up, I think it really does a good job, uh, into all these different chapters, I mean, really does a good job of giving you that sort of, uh, that sort of sprawling feeling, for, yeah, for, it, for it lack makes of a it better word. More forgiving when, when you sort of skip forward in periods of time or, or things have clearly changed in her life and it doesn't need to show you yeah. that they've, uh, or it, it can just show you that something is different and it doesn't have to explain how it happened or anything, which is a really nice literary device, actually. I think it works really yeah. well. Yeah. Something something that I like about the way that uh, it depicts her and the character and the way she changes as a person is the idea that she's not always... It's not always, like, a positive progression and she's not always, like, growing and developing in a way like for mm. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify what I mean. So, for, so she starts the film as like, 
uh, like a like a medical student, and then goes off to do like this freelance stuff, and then so she's like quite like the student kind of young young twenties kind of lifestyle, and then when she moves in with the cartoonist, the forty year old guy who's got his shit together and has his own place and his own well established career and a bit of fame, she has to sort of like play adult for a bit, and you really get this feeling that she is like living in this moving into this fancy apartment, and she sort of dresses nicer, and she sort of has this feeling feeling of like I don't know I, I just I got this vibe of like her playing adult and sort of playing a bit of a playing a bit of like a, oh I'm I'm mature now and I'm in this role uh, yeah she, and various she goes stages to her, in her life she kind of regresses from that a bit totally as the yeah, film I, goes on which I thought really we found really interesting in an like yeah, inspirational yeah. way in like a you don't watch this this character just get better and better and better and get their life sorted and get their shit more and more together as the film goes on. It's kind of just these like ups and downs as she goes through her life. Yeah, and and I think the that um like one of the important things that this film does is does a really good job of handling how you feel about her character because like in some ways I mean it's it's setting you up in the title of the film like the worst person in the world. You sort of see uh, I mean there's there's kind of a few um so sort of the first act covers like her her uni pathway and how she's like she just won't fucking sit still with one thing. She's clearly yeah. very restless. So she moves in with with this cartoonist Axel, who's like as you said, sort of closer to forty and and has his shit more together. Um, and there's a little there's there's friction there because there are different life stages and um, Axel sort of is closer to figuring out what he wants to do um and and was like was was a very famous comic book artist and is sort of actually now more so in the twilight of his career almost um yeah. and is sort of trying to trying to figure that out but is clearly you know in a very different different life stage and and sort of looking more towards that building a family type stuff and, and of course like that really doesn't necessarily sit well with Yuli. So she pushes to be in this relationship. And then um, it always feels like she pushes to commit to something. And then as soon as the option for committing to it is real, um, she sort of pulls back and withdraws. Um, and, uh, yeah. and and that happens most notably with a scene where she leaves from an event that Axel is, is at. And she says, I'm going home. And he's like, "Okay, I'll see you. See you at home." And on she just she just walks out of this event and walks home, or or is just wandering the streets basically. And she stumbles upon this party, and uh, she meets this guy at this party, um, who she ends up basically spending the whole night with, flirting. I I I like that scene because the scene pops up and that's it. That's the that's the second chapter and the mm. name of the chapter that pops up is cheating, right? And uh, and so the you know the premise of the scene is like, what what would it mean? Like, is this is this cheating? No, is this cheating? Okay, no, still no, probably, but it's closer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's really sick. I, and I apparently like- that that scene was the genesis for the whole film. That was like that's what sick. The director like imagined and the writer as well. Yeah. What they what they imagined at first. Um, yeah, so, so that extended scene cool. where she, she, she like cr- crashes this random party and flirts with this random guy all night. Uh, I, I, one, one of my favorite like sequences in the whole movie, and I really did like the way it's it sort of subverts expert. Doesn't really it sort of plays with their expectations a bit by calling it cheating, and so it sort of I don't know it labels what she's doing and gives you this like preconception before 
before it gets too far into the scene and so you're constantly like yeah i'm enjoying it it's this playful scene but you're like a little bit on edge the whole time like is she she's gonna yeah she's gonna cheat at the end of the scene is is, isn't she isn't she and the longer the scene goes on you're like oh what's that and so you get this like a uh, I don't know. I, I I think that the way that the scene resolves is like a really satisfying. You get this nice little warm, like oh, that was. <laughs> it's like a little treat. Yeah, after all that suspense. yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I yeah, I really like that too. But like, there are so many memorable um, moments from this. I, I I really think it's one of the best directed movies I've seen in a really long yeah. time. And there's loads of really like playful bits of editing and scene transitions and that sort of thing that I thought were uh, very interesting. And I only noticed and took photos of a few of them, but I thought maybe I'd jog your memory. One of the ones that I liked was right at the very beginning uh, when it's showing you the fact that she's uh, she's been like fucking one of her university lecturers. Yeah. Uh, and the way it does that is by like, it shows her like flipping it, it's like the narration's like oh and then 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 they were fucking or whatever uh mm. and then it shows her like f- you're looking over her shoulder at her like phone as she's like flipping through photos in her camera roll of like playful selfies of her and the lecturer in bed uh, yeah and then the next selfie the next photo in the camera roll is like an artsy design photo and then the camera like zooms out and shows her thinking, and it's like, and that's how she got into being a photographer or whatever. Like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's really like good transitions. It, yeah, it turns this like montagey. It turns this like montagey shot into the next scene in this really interesting way. Mm. It's very well, yeah, very well edited and, and written. Um, I think the uh, I think the in addition to the chapters kind of format, I think the narration yeah. is a really clever idea because it just sort of gives you this actually i watched um itu mama tambien uh which i think i talked about uh, on the you show you talked about a little while ago yeah i think it was in our green knight episode um or around then but that Good is man. also a film that has narration in it and the point of the narrator in that is like the narrator is kind of omniscient so what happens is you'll you'll meet a character and the narrator will often um be like um uh George would go on to run this store for another five years. Uh, after yeah, that, I remember you saying he would quit that. and go on a road yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd get diagnosed with testicular cancer and die two months into it. And and, and yeah. it's like this. It just gives this story like this, like sprawling kind of um, uh, significant like kind of feel to it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and, and I, this one does something similar. There's a bit similar. of like self-aware narration. Exactly. It's it's a little bit different. It's not quite trying to achieve the same thing, but but it is it's similar and uh and I think it's also very clever. And um yeah. you know, narration can be really bad in films, but when it's used really well like this, it's very it's not a character that you know, it's just a narrator. Yeah. Um and I yeah, I think it's really uh really clever and it helps to it helps to give like when there's insight into a character's head, it sort of splits the wicket between having the character turn to the camera and say like, I'm feeling sad. Um, but it also gives you like a much greater um, perspective because sometimes it'll tell you like what they're thinking about and it won't be related to the scene and it'll be lots of different things. It'll be like, um, uh, you know, she she felt sad, but she was also distracted by the fact that she was thinking about this thing completely unrelated to what was going on with her at the moment. And it's yeah. like, that, that would be so awkward to write in dialogue, but when you're narrating what's going on in the person's head, it's very clear. 
um, and it's very effective. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't, and I don't really know if like whimsical is the right word for it, but there's definitely like some sort of like element of playfulness to it. Like there's there's, mm. there's a sequence early on where I think it's the first time she hooks up with the cartoonist, and they're like sitting on sitting on his bed. Uh, and they're about to have some sort of deep discussion and the cartoonist goes like, no, we can't because like, then I'm just going to f- fall in love with you and it's going to be this whole thing and we want different things so let's just let's just say it was a fun night and we'll, we'll call it quits. Yeah. And, and she's, she's walking out, she's walking out his door after that kind of like just split up after one night and the narration goes, later she would say that that was the, that was the moment she fell in love with him. Right. Which yep. is like a nice, 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 the warm, playful twist on that, in a similar kind of way, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's another joke that the narration does that I really liked and I noticed it enough to write it down where the narration... It's, it's going to be hard to describe with one person, but the narration is describing the thing that she's saying in conversation like a split oh, yeah. second before she says it. It's kind of like yep. the joke from the castle where it's like, uh, she told Axel, you've done nothing wrong. And then she goes, you've done nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it really does good. that for like a whole This is a, a whole funny movie. It's also, it's got a really yeah. good sense of humor to it as well. Um, I think just in general, like I wanted to talk about the performances, but um, I think the fact that we love this film as much as we do um, is indicative that the, the writing is fantastic. Like, and the dialogue is, is excellent. Um, again, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, and this is translated to English, so I'm assuming that the Norwegian is like just as good, um, but it's an excellent translation because so much of the comedy is still very clear. Um, yeah, but I think definitely. The, yeah, yeah. The performances. Um, well, sorry. I think that the 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 plot and just the like you said, the subject matter that we're watching. Like, I don't know if it's just this the life stage that we're at, but it seems to be resounding yeah. with a fucking lot of people. Um, oh, it's great. Yeah, I, and uh, Renata. I don't know how to say her name. Rainsfer, I guess. Um, Renata plays Our mate Renata. Yeah, who plays uh, Yuli? Her, talked about how like she gets people who are you know, 60 years old. Oh, she had a, this journalist. I think this was in yeah. the um, Lincoln Center interview that we both listened to, but um, she had this uh, 60-year-old journalist coming up to her and being like, your character is me. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, there's just this, I don't know, this, um, the whole, like, kind of thesis of the story of being like, um, it's, it's like, it's, you're going to find yourself often in a, in a phase where you don't feel like you're doing what you should be doing or like, like you haven't got your shit together or like you haven't figured it out yet. Um, that's kind yeah. of part of living. Um, I got a lot of that. Really what, what I wrote down here is that the film captures this like feeling of insecurity and self-awareness about your own life's ambitions and this feeling of like constantly comparing yourself to everyone else all the time. And it's like something I can relate to as well myself. It's just like watching like, I don't know, as we're getting into like first few years into our careers and like years into relationships, other thing, you watch someone and you go, oh, you're doing that? I'm like, oh, why? I, I, I'm yeah, doing that. Why the fuck am I doing that? And like, yeah, yeah like there's a, like there's a sequence where they, uh, they, uh, she goes with Axel, the cartoonist, to like a party at like a summer home with yep. a whole bunch of his like adult 40 year old friends and they've all got kids and Axel's. Yep. Like, I think I want kids. She's like, shut up, dude. You just, <laughs> you just want kids because all your friends have kids. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I want kids. Maybe, I guess. But like, it's really sort of seems like the the only time she's thought about whether she wants kids is right now in this conversation as she's like yep. logicking her way through it. And I've definitely been in situations like that before where you're just like, 
you, you find yourself in a situation where you're, 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 yeah, you're just like evaluating your whole life's ambitions against and questioning everything just because someone else is doing something else and no one fucking knows what they're doing. No, everyone's doing that good all stuff. the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, something else I, think, I really, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think the performances are also immaculate. Uh, I'm pretty sure. They're um, great. Uh, Renata won, uh, was it a BAFTA or maybe. Um, Best actress at Cannes. Best actress at Cannes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think she apparently was going to give up well. on acting. She had decided to quit acting. That's right. The yeah. night before this guy called her to be like, hey, I wrote a movie for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Very like weirdly serendipitous cast as well. Like the, um, uh, the guy that plays um, the comic book artist, Axel, is uh, a fully qualified physician. Um, so apparently he like acts and in between those things, he's, he's a doctor, like really That's fucking <laughs> weird shit. Um, yeah. And they filmed it during COVID as well. So it must've been a weird movie to make. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a, like what a turnaround for, um, for Renata because she is fucking excellent in this movie. Yeah. Um, really, am- really, really good. And actually so is everyone. Like there's not a bad performance on screen. Um, Herbert Nordrum, this uh, guy, the guy who plays a character called Ivan, who's the one at the party, he is also really good. There's like Norwegian Dakota Johnston and Norwegian Adam Driver. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the, like the the those three who are kind of the main three people in the film, I guess, are, are just like excellent. Just really, really. <laughs> There are some very intentional choices in their performance where I feel like that's not the way that I would have expected the line to be delivered. Like there's this one point where um, where she, uh, uh, Yuli just fucking goes off at Ivan. She just like fucking, it's, yeah. you can tell it's, he tries to say something nice and it, it really touches a nerve and she bites yeah. his fucking head off. And you see him yeah. like, you see him go through in his head like five or six things that he, could say and then he just comes out with this like uh, that's hurtful and that's all he says like he doesn't say he doesn't (laughs) respond he doesn't give anything else you see him think about it but he's like none of that does any good and he just says like that's hurtful and that's kind of all that they that's the exchange kind of done so much of the dialogue feels so earnest and feels so human in a way that it doesn't feel like a really it doesn't feel like a smart like I'm thinking of like the other rom-com I like that uh, I won't shut up about is When Harry Met Sally but when Harry Met Sally feels written in a very Hollywood 80s, 90s straight up and down movie ass movie kind of way like it has the big speeches where it's like oh I love the way you order a sandwich and I love the way you come to this or whatever um this doesn't feel written. This feels so earnest and so human in such an honest way, in a way that I can't, I can't help but feel like I'm sounding cliched as I'm describing it. But just like uh, that, that sequence that you just said goes on where, yeah, she's, she like completely overreacts to something that he says. And in any other movie, that would be like a big argument. Uh, and the line, they have that they exchange and then uh, Ivar goes like, are you all right? And, <laughs> right. and yeah. comes down it's like a very sensitive. It's like, of course, it's what you'd say. You, you wouldn't. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like a, it's like another like uh, relationship porn kind of thing. I was like, oh, I'd love to be that like emotionally sensitive to be able to, to be I able to say that you instead can, of like it's like matching it's, the argument. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's rare for characters to try and like de-escalate 
you know, and to diffuse yeah. the emotion in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't maybe that's what it is. each it's, other. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. It, it, it feels like it's going for honesty over like over dramatizing stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's definitely it's like, not melodramatic. It, it, just, it at feels all, very yeah. thoughtful. Yeah. Exactly. I was trying to, been trying to find this letterbox review and I'm never going to be able to find it again, but it was a review where someone was talking about uh, the idea of like a third wave. Oh, and I'm going to butcher this, so sorry, but like a, like a third wave of like female protagonists in media where it's it, it's it's like it's become more acceptable to have like female protagonists that don't have their shit together in the same way right. as like Fleabag has been very popular recently. Yeah, and the true. character in Fleabag kind of sucks. Like she doesn't, she's not, she's not, evil she's she's not awful but she's also not like a saint she just kind of sucks and is like flawed and imperfect in a very human way and mm. just is just uh the whole flea bag storyline is just kind of about how she's trying to figure herself out and is an inherently flawed person who doesn't have much in the way of plans or aspirations uh, and has no idea what the fuck she's doing. And just the idea that uh, the, the review that I was reading pointed out that like a lot of female protagonists or female love interesty type characters in a lot of mainstream media recently before these, before Fleabag and I think Worst Person of the World have been like very idealized female characters or a lot more yeah. of what you would see. Yeah. Like uh, women that have been put on a pedestal in a, maybe like in a male, male gazy kind of way. But mm. I just, the review I read was talking about how refreshing it was to just have like a totally normal character that is fine for them to just kind of suck in a way where... um it's nothing special and it's not glorified in any way. It's just like a very, I, I feel like I'm not really doing it justice the way I'm describing it. But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Great. Cool. <laughs> yes. Great. I understand. Help me out of that. I was trying I to know, find the review, just, but, but no, I go, yeah, I get what you mean. It's, it's an interesting, it's, it feels like a very, um, uh, mm. innovative film, I think, which is strange yeah. because it's not doing anything crazy, uh, except a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has a couple of it has a couple of moments. I feel like um, I feel like that's part of the genius of this film. Is in some ways it feels very familiar, right? You've seen this film before. It's very like you know, just scrolling past a few reviews. Like people mention Baumbach, they mention um, normal people, they mention uh, Greta Gerwig, they mention When Harry Met Sally, um, but uh, but it just. It, it nails everything, and then on top of nailing everything and being a modern piece, it just manages to elevate what it does ever so slightly. Like, it's got such a great soundtrack. It's got such yeah. great editing. It's very clever in its transitions, and it doesn't have a normal narrative form. Like, it's got the, it's got the uh, um, uh, narration. It's got the chapters. And it has a couple of sequences in it um, I'm thinking in particular of the sequence where she walks out of Axel's house, and this is definitely a spoiler, but um, where the world freezes for a period of time, which is kind of the biggest oh, moment wonderful. in the film, I think. Um, and also the drug sequence later on, which is very surreal. There's a, there's a, a trip yeah. sequence. But, um, yeah. but I think... Okay, let's do a spoiler the, one in then. Spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, just, you know, yeah. Here, we, here we go. The... The moment where the world freezes, I think, was when I realized that 
this was um, this was like a fearlessly innovative film. Um, yeah, where he was what, what not f- he was sticking to the to to he wasn't really sticking to a formula. He was just he just had really good ideas. Yeah, um, and like one of the coolest bits about the world freezy thing is that's the only time it happens in the ho- anything weird like that happens once, in the whole movie. Once. Really, yeah. like that's it's it. not like a fucking Matilda ass movie where she's the world freezing girl. Like, no, it's no. just like he had this one neat idea, and he's like, "Well, it's other than that, other than that, and the drug scene, it's a pretty straight up and down, yeah." Drama, and I think the genius drama, of it, the genius of, like of it is um, what came. So he, he talked about. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm pronouncing it like Phoenix, but um, Joachim, whatever. Anyway, Tria said um, (laughs) that in that moment, like the reason for that was because um, he said, sometimes you, um, sometimes you're in these situations in life where you feel like all of a sudden, and I'm pulling this from, again, the Lincoln Center chat, um, where you feel like time is, is, is your enemy. Time is not on your side. And he then talked immediately about the idea of like, when you're, you know, you're in a relationship and maybe you meet someone that's really interesting to you and the enemy is, is, is not the relationship. It's the, it's the time. It's that you don't have the ability to sort of stop everything where you are at the moment and go and explore that thing and then come back and yeah. it's like you can't be doing the two things at once, right? Yeah, um, it's like people wish... He says he's found himself in a situation where you could, you just wish you could just live in a parallel universe for like a week and just like... Exactly. Just, just see what that was like and it's not in any way with any sort of malicious intent but just like... Uh, I, just, I, I just wish that it, I could just see what that was like. Just see what it's like with that other person. I would just quit my job and just go and see what it's like and then just rewind it. Yeah, Right, absolutely. and I think the genius is that's not what the film is about. But it is what Julie uh, Yuli is experiencing at that moment in time, and so he changes the what he's doing on the screen that he plays with the medium in the way that best serves the emotion of the main character. He's not doing it because that's what the shtick of the movie is. He's just doing it because yeah. that's what the main character really wants or needs at that moment in time, and he doesn't need to do it again because that's that she doesn't experience the same thing twice. Um, and I think that's really, really brave, actually, to just do that once and not have it be like, a you know, you could easily see producers being like, well, why doesn't she do this whenever she needs to escape from her current reality or some shit? Yeah, it, it could be a whole fucking thing. Yeah. It's like, no, because that ruins it because it's not, she doesn't feel that way ever again or, or you know, yeah. we never see her feeling that way. And it is at the moment where she feels like at the peak at her the most like trapped in the relationship totally. with Axel. I sort of noticed that like the more the relationship with Axel happens, the more I mean, I think the scene right before that is where he's just talking about like how he's kind of dissatisfied with how his cartoon has been adapted into yeah. a movie. And he talks about that for so long. <laughs> so it's like, such oh a funny my, scene. He's talking oh about my how God, like, dude, they, like, they, they they took the butthole off his animated cat <laughs> in the film adaptation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And how it's like not punk f- anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I just feel like I feel like it's really clever to just to have like it. It kind of feels like the scene, the interactions with Axel get more boring and more completely dumb, more mundane. Shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's a real mix-up, and it, it, she feels so freeing when when everyone else is frozen like that. It 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 is. I think it comes back to like the pressure of. So, uh, expectations and pressures put on you by what other people are doing, and in a, in a way that. Yeah, again, just 
<laughs> kind of fucked me up for a little while thinking about the movie. Yeah, yeah, but no. While I'm, we're in yeah. spoilers, uh, my favorite moment about like realizing the performances in this are incredible is so uh, again, spoiler, spoiler, but like uh, the final act of the movie is Julie Axel. finds out that uh, 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 yeah, so Julie leaves Axel uh, and goes to be with this other dude, Einar, the guy from the wedding for Ivan, um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for for well, it seems like months. I mean, the, the movie takes place for a year, four years. So she's with this Ivan guy for ages, uh, and then she finds out, like, just randomly, that uh, Axel is dying of cancer, and so she spends like the last act of the movie hanging out with with Axel, uh, sort of being with him and being like a friend to him. And the bit that I was blown away by is how like they felt so intimate and so in love uh, while they were together in the movie. But then during that bit, you really feel this emotional distance uh, between yeah. those two characters, even though they're having some of the deepest, Im- deepest like emotional conversations that they've had together on screen. Like uh, Axel's talking about um, his like ambitions in life and how they're, they're, he's never going to be able to live up to them. Uh, and he says stuff, he says stuff to Julie, like, Julie, I just wanted to let you know, and you don't have to respond to this, but that you were the, the love of my life and probably the most meaningful relationship I ever had with any human was with you. And yeah. He's and he- saying this, this deep, uh, very deep emotional stuff. And, but you still feel this like emotional disconnect between them in a way that there's this, there's this di- intangible distance that blew me away. I think. I think um, yeah, that's interesting. I I didn't interpret it. I I I know what you're saying. Um, I didn't interpret it as like an emotional distance so much as the fact that both of them have reconvened at a stage where they understand each other really deeply, um, but they've reconciled that they yeah. just they feel differently and they're at different stages in their life and want different things. And so yeah. they have like well, a really deep respect for one another and complete like transparency and openness, but that maybe they that don't. Was it. Just the idea that, yeah, you know, just the, the, you didn't feel that romance. You felt like a you felt you felt their strong friendship. You didn't feel like a romance on screen. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, and I think the really great tragedy for um, Axel's character is like right at the very end of that kind of interaction when he just fully opens back up again and he's like, um, uh, I, I'm sick of pretending like. Um, it's all fine, and like I don't like I I, I don't just want to live the rest of my life with you, um, and start a family with you, and I I wish that I had done those things, and she just like has yeah. n- like y- she doesn't have a response that's going to solve that, and, and and she doesn't even try, and she knows she's like I just have to listen, yeah. But the hard part is like he's telling her about it, like she, you know he's not like confiding in a third party about this, like he's just being honest about how he feels about her. And it yeah. relates directly to all the shit he's talking about, about the fear of death. I thought what he was talking about, about like the way that he consumes media and he doesn't listen to new stuff. And his reasons for that were like really, really um, <laughs> heart- heartbreaking in a way. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, uh, that end sequence made all the more impressive by the fact that this guy just has this entire other life as a fucking doctor. Um, yeah. But uh yeah, that all of that sequence. I love that. This film works so hard. Uh, like, so I'm writing, uh, co-writing a feature film script at the moment, and, and um, and like I can see the craft in this script where they've worked 
Mm. Like you don't get to a state. So, the, you know, they're sitting on the picnic table outside at the hospital talking about this kind of stuff. And they're having these conversations about like, yeah, life, uh, life direction, like fulfillment, um, media consumption, love, happiness, the, their past relationships. And the way that you feel that like all of the stuff that we've just articulated about, like either the, the fact that there's a, a, a gap between them or, or that they have like a deep respect for one another or that it feels like they're friend, old friends in a way. All of yeah. that is fucking hard to set up. Yeah, it's crazy and they, they fucking nail it. It takes so much work to have reached this point where they can be having this conversation and there's such deep character work and those moments have so much payoff um, that yeah. I'm like in fucking awe of the way that this script is written. It's so Man, impressive. I've, I've got a couple of things written down that I was impressed by in terms of like nonverbal acting and maybe not even acting, but yeah, just the way that the film communicates a feeling mm. in that exact way. Yeah, like exactly the way like you these people, you've seen them be lovers and now you see them and they feel like they're old old friends with yeah. this, uh, this, this past that they're wistfully going over and they're not really saying that but you get this feel it evokes that feeling just from the last like one yeah, of my all nonverbal one cues, of my favorite yeah. it's crazy one of my favorite lines in the whole movie and i think that it it comes back to what i was talking about about how this film is sort of uh it romanticizes the ordinary life and the pursuit for like normality and like rom- romanticizes mundanity in a way where he says mm. Axel says when it might be one of the last scenes they have together he says I don't want to I don't want to be a memory for you I don't want to live on in my art I want to live in my flat I want to yeah, live in my flat yeah, with great you line. and I thought yep. like fuck that's <laughs> that's so good just like the fuck all that artsy fartsy romantic bullshit fuck all these like high flying aspirations no I just want to I want to live in my nice house with my nice girl. And that, that was that. I had a fucking good thing. This is bullshit. And just feeling like you're a victim to time. And I feel like this film captures one of my favorite things in movies where it just feels like there's a, there's perfect moments that are just lost because just because of poor timing, like you just yeah. missed it. Like they could have had something good, but she just, he, he wanted kids and she just wasn't sure. So they just missed it and they fucked it. Yeah, and, and, and it's like and, and this the tragedy is it was never going to work out, but it felt like it would. Yeah, yeah, this like bittersweet feeling of like a perfect life slipping through your fingertips, and you, like, it feels like you could have done something to stop it, and mm. you can't catch it as it just slips away. Uh, another another moment that I really liked, uh, and I feel like I'm just monologuing, so stop me when you want to. No, wanna that's talk okay. About stuff. Another another moment I really liked was um right at the very 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 end. Um, the final sequence is that Julia is now a photographer on a film set. On set photographer. That's right. Yeah. And they've, they've just finished shooting a scene. That's such a good actress. Because they have this yeah. actress that just is doing this like not very good performance. And you're like, oh, what the fuck is going on? And then it pulls back yeah. and reveals that <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's like bad directing and she's struggling and stuff. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that I was, love that. I, I, you know, 
<laughs> I didn't notice that. I'm glad you got that. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so, so it, they, they finish this scene and then Yuli has to like take photos of this actress or whatever and she's kind of comforting her and be like, oh, no, you did a good job. Like if, you, if you're feeling shit about your performance, just like, she's just like, hold on to that feeling that you're feeling shit because I got to get photos of you looking sad. So it's <laughs> Well, she's actually, she's directing her. She, she says like, um, yeah. you, use it. Like if that's how you feel, then use that, um, which is yeah. like a, a, a very foundational thing in directing. Yeah, it's yeah. Interesting. Also, so the bit, the bit that I liked is that it, uh, the movie then uh, uh, the actress like Teta starts and then walks out and Yuli sees through the window that this actress that she was just like comforting, coincidentally, is the new Ivan's new new partner with a kid, new partner yeah. with a, with with a baby that they explicitly talk about not wanting to have. Ivan, right. uh, Ina now now has a baby with this woman. Uh, and I like the fact that it feels like it feels like character growth for her that she doesn't like linger on learning that for ages. Like it feels yeah, like a lesser she just film. Goes, she just goes home and starts editing the photos. That's all she does. Yeah, but then yeah. but then also that 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 emptiness to not having any emotional like address not addressing that in any emotional way. It kind of feels mm. like she's she's still coming to terms with it, or maybe maybe she's not all right with it, but the film doesn't have to tell you that. It just has to show her like looking out and then the, the, the immediate cut to just her like editing photo after photo after photo of this woman. It's like, it's like she's stewing on it in this way where it's like, of course that's going to keep her guessing and thinking about it. Well, a bit, it might, but it really she, doesn't she's kind say of, it's, it's very, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. I kind of love that. It's, it's like, she's yeah. kind of come to terms. With, she's kind of come to terms with it, but she's kind of still thinking like, oh, she's living alone. She doesn't have this kid. She's had like, T- missed two chances now at like having a kid with a great guy. Yeah. And I don't know. I just felt like there was something intangible to that. This like deep, this deep sadness, but also like a hollowness to it mm. that I got where it was like, it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? I think you're just not quite sure at the end of the film if um, like, so the whole of the whole runtime is sort of devoted to like this pursuit that Yuli has to feel fulfilled. And I think at the end of the film, you show how much ground she's made towards feeling that way. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't fucking give you an answer about whether or not she right. feels it. It's not satisfying. Maybe that's what I'm going for. And it's very satisfying. It's not satis- but but um, like it's satisfying as an ending, but it doesn't answer the question. Mm. I think that maybe it does in a way. I like maybe that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling my lack of satisfaction as an audience member watching this, feeling dissatisfied that I don't get closure on Julie's like opinion on this. Right. And the fact that the movie it like cuts right after that. You go like, "Ah, fuck." And it's the fact that the the movie doesn't give you as the audience that satisfaction and closure maybe is meant to evoke that same feeling that she's been feeling for the whole movie for the whole four years is like yeah. this constant yearning for satisfaction, for a greater this constant answer. yearning for some sort of like, yeah, greater answer that you're just never going to get. And the movie mm. like rips it right out from under you right before, before you get a chance to, yeah, I don't know. I'm mm. sure, I'm sure, I'm sure if the movie went for another 20 minutes, you would have found out like, and it doesn't <laughs> matter how she feels about this woman and either, but like, I, yeah. I just like it because as, because of what it represents. Mm. Um, I think the soundtrack was really great and I think it added some serious character to the movie in a way that a soundtrack often doesn't. I really loved the soundtrack as well. I thought it was um I thought it was fantastically appropriate. It actually reminded me of um 
of skins, which I think is still one of the best. Like skins is fucking goaded for um, how it uses wildly different music um, depending on, uh, you know, there's no like, there's no necessarily like theme in the soundtracks themselves, but, um, but it always seems to have the right song play at the right moment. And this is very similar. Uh, Fantastic soundtrack. The variety is exactly what I liked out of this. I, I I think, and I liked that it was like a varied mix of like older stuff and new stuff, but they weren't, it wasn't like greatest hits of the seventies and jazz standards and greatest hits of the eighties. It was like a, this oddball mix of B-sides and tracks I'd never really heard of in yeah. a way that made me feel like I was listening to like a specific person's favorite songs. If you know what I mean? Like, it didn't feel yeah. like it was curated for a movie. It felt like it was, like, Julie's music, in a way. Like, there was, like, a weird Art Garfunkel song from his, like, solo album and, like, some random instrumental funk track and, uh, like, some old Billie we Holiday got, songs. Got like, yeah, right. And, so, and, it's, and a huge mix of old and new stuff that just felt like, like a Wes Anderson soundtrack is like Wes Anderson picking movies, picking songs, but it's got like a very specific aesthetic and it feels curated and it's got a very similar vibe. The fact that this this soundtrack was so so scattered and so varied in terms of its tone and style felt like a real human's musical taste. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Wes Anderson, his soundtrack feels like a character in that it's all this twee 60s folk stuff. But like... I don't know. I like that, but I also listen to fucking like Radiohead and Daft Punk and mm. a, a variety and like jazz and all sorts of different stuff in a way that like it doesn't feel honest or earnest to have a score that's so curated like this. And the fact that this was like less curated and just felt like it was random, like oh, this died like favorite songs across a whole range of genres. I think really added to like it being the soundtrack to her life over four years. You get into a whole bunch of different mu- music music over four years. Yeah, that's an interesting interpretation of it. I don't think I latched onto that because I don't feel like, um, I personally don't feel like uh, Yuli is in the music of this film. You know what I mean? Not like, yeah, uh, let's know. say like Baby Driver, where like the character is like, it's meant to yeah. be like the shit that they listen to. I don't yeah. get that same sense from this only because... Um, uh like the the music is so wildly varied and so um as you say like from such a diverse range of places you know you've got like Eric Satie like purely classical shit and um as well as like like thumping dance music um yeah and like yeah old uh shit from the 70s and 60s um so it just doesn't feel like it's reflecting her personality it feels like the emotions that, um, and this is probably like maybe I'm maybe I'm sort of sidestepping here, but for me it seems more like um, the the soundtrack to the journey that she goes on. Um, yeah, and maybe, so she's and sort maybe of, that's more what I meant. I think it complements the way in which it depicts her in a very varied. Uh, non-singular way and the way it shows all the different life experiences she have. I think it complements that in a very nice way. Mm. Right, sure. Like, I mean, for example, one one good example is that I think the the first like sequence where it shows her moving in with Axel in the apartment and it's playing that Billie Holiday song. I think that's almost like a bit of a joke. It's like a bit of a pastiche of like, uh, it like overcorrects into this like perfect little rom com for five yeah. minutes. 
yeah. with like showing them with this happy little romance and it's playing the Billie Holiday music. I mean, that's a good example of like the, the soundtrack being a bit larger than life and sort of popping out of the movie in a bit, mm. uh, in a bit of a weird way. Um, but yeah, no, in general, I just, it was like a, I don't know. I, it was like, I, I just noticed how unusual a lot of the picks were. I think this is one of those films to uh, moving on. We're like great soundtrack. Check out the soundtrack as well. Like it's just just <laughs> a, not a bad playlist to just like chuck on. But um, yeah. But I think uh, I think the soundtrack fits the same bill as a lot of the stuff in this movie. That that sort of almost uh, the soundtrack is very notable. But um, I'm thinking especially about like the cinematography and a lot of the art direction and the visuals and the editing as well in this yeah. film. That sort of. Um, are actually like best in class, um, but they're very subtle. And so you don't necessarily notice them at all. Um, or like, you know, you notice them, but but they feel really great. Um, yeah. I, I think this is one of those movies where like, um, it would be an eight out of 10 based on the story and the performances alone. But the fact that every head of department seems to be just have had such passion and really brought fantastic ideas to the table um, just means it sort of stands out from the rest. There is not yeah, a single definitely. element of this movie that uh, lets it down, basically. Or even that's that's kind of like just good instead of like fantastic. Like, um, yeah, I don't really know how to describe it other, other than what I've said. I, I feel like I haven't uh, articulated it to the extent, but but like... Um, there's like not a speck of dust out of place in this film yeah, is, is how yeah, I definitely. feel about it. it. It feels like just one of the most well-made films that I've seen in, in years. And it's also got this fantastic script. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I reckon um, this, if, if we're moving into like a, like a wrapping it up kind of, kind of thing, uh, I reckon I was trying to think of other movies I've liked and have given me the same feeling in the same way. And I reckon friend of the show, uh, Laura is spot on with Francis Ha. I think this, mm. if you liked this man, you got to go and watch Francis Ha. Cause that is a, maybe it's not exactly the same, but it's just having not watched that in a little while. It's giving me like uh, memories of similar vibes in a way where it's like a same person to the same kind of time in life. It's got a similar alternative kind of vibe to it. That's going to really, yeah, I think you're going to find very compelling, uh, mm. and I think that like emotionally and tonally, uh, they they're going for going for similar things in terms of like a like a coming of age, but for the twenties to thirties rather than like rather than like teens, right? And and I think sort of a a, a a woman, yeah, trying to find her find her way in the world and not feeling like she's feeling like she should know what she's meant to be doing and not feeling that way, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, I love Francis Ha and I love this. I think, uh, I think I, I haven't watched many. I love you. Thanks, brother. You too. Love you, brother. Uh, I reckon like I haven't watched many 2021 movies and this is ultimately one of the things that fueled me to watch this movie was that this movie was on a whole bunch of like best of 2021 lists. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I yeah. think so far out of all the 2020 movies I've seen, favorite one so far. Fav- this is my favorite movie of 2021 so far. It's fucking excellent. Right, right. Um, I'd have to take a look at my... So, I guess we should probably do like a wrap-up of 2021 at some point, but I'd have to take a look. Yeah, yeah and I'm trying to figure out like films that might do this because like, these types of films, I don't think you really see many where they're just not that great, but um, mm. but this kind of outclassed a lot of the other ones that I've seen. I, I kind of want like, a, um, like an If You Like This 
check out um like if if you like x check out y kind of thing yeah um, well that's that's why i mentioned francis ha because I, I, yeah, uh, yeah we keep fucking up a better than west dance this is one of the best movies i've seen in ages so i can't think of a movie that <laughs> i think is better than this uh because this is one of the one of the one of the best in class i reckon this one so yeah in terms of like you said like coming of age stories it sits among my favorites it's like i think um i think uh boyhood is like a really fantastic i mean like i know some people are, are a little cold on boyhood yeah. but i personally liked it um well, i guess i watched boyhood in, in 2014 when it came out and uh it really landed with me then and in the same yeah. way like now that i'm at a different life stage this film kind of really hits in it's like um fuck i'm feeling a bit that way you know what i mean <laughs> um, yeah exactly and, and i feel like the reason i mentioned coming of age thought of is because like you see heaps of coming of age stories about like teenagers i haven't seen as many that come to mind about this catching capturing this similar kind of anxiousness about the fact that everyone seems to have their shit sorted and you don't that mm. comes in like the late 20s that i'm sort of starting to feel now in a way where maybe it's just that it's a feeling that is in a lot of movies and i've never noticed it but i feel like that's something that I'm personally feeling right now, uh, and this is the first movie I've seen that captures it. Like, oh, that's me now. Oh, oh, I didn't know everyone else felt like this. You know, I'm sure if I go back and watch a whole bunch of other shit, it'll I'll, I'll get it in a lot of other stuff. Maybe, yeah. I think that this film is so much more thoughtful about that. that yeah. And and so much more um eloquent in how it approaches those issues than a lot of those types of films are. Where it's just, it's um, it's it's like you're feeling empathy for for Yuli. And then all of a sudden, you realize that the empathy that you have been feeling probably directly applies to like you in <laughs> yeah. in, in some of these fucking situations. And yeah. You're like, oh Christ! It's nice yeah. to be told that it's okay to feel that way. It's nice yeah. to. F- it feels like the film is sympathizing with you sometimes, and, and that's and that's a really lovely feeling and very rare, I think, and very difficult for films to. Um, I guess that's what it means to say a film like resounded with me, but. Um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I, I want to watch. I want to watch more of this dude's stuff. Yeah, uh, Laura's gone in on on his back catalog, I think, and uh, apparently she's he, he's like one of her new favorite filmmakers. So I think the rest of his stuff is, is quite good as well. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cool. Well, look, I I hope Thelma that, I mean, is his I previous think- film. Yeah, okay. I was going to... Honestly, I can't... I, I think so much of the experience of watching this film is the emotional satisfaction of all the different beats and just the, enjoying the vibe and enjoying watching these characters live their lives. So I can't quite think exactly what sorts of spoilers we've given. So if if you've gotten to the end of this and you've listened to all of it and you... There's a bunch I, of shit reckon, that happens that's that we haven't touched on. Yeah, so I reckon I reckon you'll still enjoy it. I, I reckon it's a we, it's, it's a well enough done film that we haven't we haven't ruined it. If you're at this point and you still haven't decided, I reckon go in. We we uh, I don't think it's available uh, on any Australian streaming services yet. So if you're having trouble acquiring this film, uh, let let us know. Slide into our DMs. <laughs> our, our um. Our email address is beefstationpod at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group and you can you can get in contact with us however you want. If there's movies that you liked from 2021 that uh, we haven't talked about, let us know because we're we, you know, trying to think of episodes, uh, trying to think of stuff to do, trying to think we of stuff to We might actually do about. French Dispatch next week. <laughs> Who knows? Let's, let's make that the new thing. Every single week, the next week's episode is French Dispatch. I reckon... That's really I, I reckon... <laughs> maybe we might do French Dispatch this week but let this be a lesson to all of you suckers that watched French Dispatch 
yep. and didn't read the description, read the description. We read put the, the movie we're doing next week in the description. So yes. we don't know yet because we haven't decided, but it'll be in the description. It'll be there. Uh, and uh, yeah, enjoy that. Catch you later. Bye. Yep. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 A stick, a stone, it's the end of the road. It's the rest of a stump. It's a little alone. It's a sliver of glass, it is life, it's the sun It is night, it is death, it's a trap, it's a gun The oak when it blooms, a fox in the brush The knot of the wood, the song of a thrush The wood of the wind, a cliff, a fall A scratch, a lump, it is nothing at all It's the wind blowing free, it's the end of a slope It's a beam, it's a void, it's a hunch, it's a hope And the riverbank talks of the waters of March It's the end of the strain, it's the joy in your heart